0: Byron Branch was an elite able-bodied foil fencer, but while on duty as a police officer, he was struck by a car along Interstate 75 in Ohio, just before the holidays in 2016. After that accident, Branch had his right leg amputated. Less than two years later, he would win gold in his first ever wheelchair fencing competition, and is now aiming to represent Team USA at the upcoming Tokyo Paralympic Games. All right, uh, Byron, thank you for being my guest today. Sure. So we're talking about uh, para-fencing and um, wanted to just kind of, before we go into details about the sport, uh, talk to me a little bit about your background uh, growing up in terms of how you got involved in sports, and then we'll talk a little bit more about fencing.
1: Okay, sure. Um, so I originally grew up, I was born in Dayton. I grew up, though, as far as my childhood is really concerned. At the age of eight, I moved to a place called Englewood which is um, in the area where 70 and 75, like the two largest highways in the U.S., intersect. Um, I lived there since I was eight uh, until I left when I was in my early 30s, I believe. Um, I went to Northmont High School, and at the time, this high school had a vast um, gym program. I mean, we had all kinds of things you could take from the, the ordinary stuff where you do like basketball, um or you could do like tennis or something like that. But we also had other events you could do, gymnastics. We had outdoor education, which by far was probably the most interesting. You go out to the woods, learn to eat bugs and make fires and survive in the wilderness. And then we had a fencing course. So when I was uh, 16, I decided, hey, you know what? I have like all kinds of sports. I played baseball for 12 years. I played a little bit of football. Um, I was like, you know, what? I'll try fencing out. So um, I started that when I was 16, and then uh, when I turned 17 – I decided I would compete in fencing, and so I went, I did that, um, and I think I took third in state in the high school championships, and then I quit fencing um, after that for like four years, and then we'll get into that like a little bit later. But basically that's, that's where I'm from and where I grew up is Englewood, Ohio.
0: And, um, and so what, what originally, you know, said you were active in a number of different sports. What interested you about fencing to
1: begin with? to be honest, I needed a sport I could compete in all year round. Um, Baseball is only good from pretty much March to September. Football, I really didn't like playing in the wintertime. I didn't like being outside when it was really cold. So I only did that for one year. Um, I was a gymnastics coach for a couple of years and that was fun and all to be inside, but I really wanted something I could do all the time. Um, And the, uh, the appeal of fencing was, really just the thought process, you know, can I outthink the opponent that's in front of me? And when I was younger, I was in chess club. I played a lot of chess, um, competed in, if you want to call that competition, but I, I played a lot of chess with a lot of different people. So I've always been intrigued by anything that is, um, uh, intellectually heavy. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's why I found fencing to be so appealing.
0: Yeah. I think, uh, coach Mickey, uh, <laughs> uh, talked about, uh, it being, a. Um, uh, basically a, a chess a chess match <laughs> a physical chess yeah. match
1: <laughs> yeah essentially i mean that's what it is you, you'll find similar there, i would say a, a similar sport to that would be like jujitsu mm-hmm. is very similar and the fact that you know you're on there you're hands to hands with the guy you can feel what he's doing you can feel where he's going and you just have to outthink his process but it's all in real time and, and
0: so why did you why did you step away from the sport
1: <laughs> the The reason's kind of silly. I had no idea that you could fence outside of high school. I didn't know that it was something that uh, occurred outside of high school. I thought it was just a high school sport. So from 2003, when I graduated high school, I stopped until I found it again in 2007 and realized, Oh, this stuff, you know, still continued on. And then that's how I ended up getting back into it again.
0: Hmm. That's, an, <laughs> that's an interesting uh, take on it. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And uh, so what? How did you, of course, get involved in in para fencing?
1: Uh, that's really sheer accident. Um, so I fenced from 2007 to i mean 2007 to 2016, I guess. As an able-bodied fencer, I was an A-rated fencer. Um, I competed all across the country all the time. But for me, fencing fencing was always just a sport that I I kind of did. I never really like lived for it. So I couldn't do it the way a lot of our our stronger or more well-known athletes are because that's what they live that's what they breathe that's what they do all the time me i was i was fencing i was studying abroad i was fencing i was teaching in college i was fencing i was in grad school you know it was always fencing and something else it was never just fencing um so i did it as much as i could you know I, i used to practice 25 hours a week at several different clubs and um well, I became a police officer in 2016 and I was in, involved in an accident on the highway and I lost my right leg on September 16th of 2016. And a lot of people had approached me afterwards and said, hey, are you are going to continue fencing and continue teaching? And I was like, well, I really like the teaching aspect, so I'll, I'll keep teaching, but I don't think I'm going to fence anymore. And a good friend of mine who I fenced with for probably about 10 years said, hey, you know, you should really try the, the para-fencing stuff. I think you'd do really well at it. Um, I said, you know, I really don't, I really don't think I want to. Um, I think I just want to step away from the sport entirely and maybe just do something else. I've been doing it for so long anyway. And he said, you know, okay. And he didn't approach me with the idea again, but then I got a phone call from a guy named Sam Lillard who runs a club in Columbus. Um, and I want to say that was in 2017 or 2018. He contacted me and said, Hey, I got the blessing of Don Anthony. Um, I want you to represent or try to represent the USA in uh, international events and para fencing. And I was like, Look, I'm a full time, I'm a full time police officer. I got two kids. I don't, I don't know if I can really, if I have the time to do it. But I was like, I'll, I'll get back into it, and we'll see how it works out. And um, that's how I got into para fencing. Was basically somebody just asked me and said they would back me and, and basically fund all the uh, stuff I, was, I had to do. And so what year, what year was that? Uh, 20. My first competition was 2018. Okay. So I'm thinking it was, I am thinking it was the beginning of 2018 is when I got back into it. So I took like a year and a half off roughly.
0: So you've been at it for a couple, a couple of years now. And, um, yeah. and uh, since you competed in, you know, in the able bodied division, what, what do you find is the differences in the
1: sport in general? Oh, there's, there's mass differences. So, um, One of the hardest ones for me to get used to was create you create distance and able body fencing with your feet. It's such a footwork heavy sport. I mean, I would say from the physical aspect, um, 70 to 80% of the sport is footwork, and then probably the rest of it is going to be in your hand. Um, But mentally, it's it's 95% mental. You know, you you might not be the most physically fit or the fastest person, but if you have a good mental game, you'll be very hard to beat. Um, So one of the huge differences was like how to create space because when you're in a wheelchair, you're in a fixed position. So you have to be really good at at moving yourself in and out of space within the chair, even though the distance doesn't really get greater between you. And then when you do that, you have to get really good at covering the one spot that stays stationary, which is generally the area closest to your hips. You can lean your chest back and your shoulders back as far as you want, but your hips are almost always in the same spot so you get really good at defending that area. But that's particularly in foil, which is the main event that I do.
0: I was going to ask you to talk about which uh, which of the three or or um, or so do you do you compete in, in the other in saber or anything else or just
1: mainly foil? Um so the 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 qualification paths for um for the Paralympics they typically want you to compete in two to three events, and that has to do with how the points are acquired. So I ended up doing Saber also. I am not very good at Saber at all. I'm actually quite bad at Saber. <laughs> but <laughs> it has it had right-of-way rules, so that was easy. for. I didn't have to relearn that, and I really just didn't want to do Epe. So I was like, okay, put a Saber in my hand. I'll figure it out. I've been Saber like once before, um, so I had a general idea of, of what to do. But uh, foil is, is the primary weapon that I've fenced for the longest amount of time and the one that I enjoy the most.
0: And you say you didn't want to do epee, so why,
1: why not? <laughs> I like, to an extent, I like any sport that has basically rules and guidelines to follow. Whereas a lot of times with epe, you can throw all that out the window. You know, there's no right of way. Um, you can hit anywhere on the body. Um, things like that are just unappealing to me. I like having a smaller target area. I like having rules to determine whose, whose touch is what based on whose turn it was. I like those kinds of things.
0: So, and there's a little bit more, probably a little bit more strategy involved in terms of focus, or I guess focus on strategy.
1: Sure. But I mean, that all depends on who you ask. You could ask an FAS and they would tell you the same thing like, well, you have so much more property or real estate to be concerned about. You have to be a lot more cautious with your moves and your actions because mm-hmm. it's like I might put myself in what I think is an advantageous position, but now my, my foot is in a spot where it shouldn't be, and then that's what you up getting tagged on. So, I mean, if I spent more time doing FA, I could probably give you a, a more adequate answer. But from a foilist perspective, no, I, w- I wouldn't touch an FA. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and, and so, uh, since so you've been back in back in the sport for a couple of years, what um, what have you been able to do? What have you been able to, uh, where have you been able to compete at?
1: Uh, where? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I think I was in like 10 countries in 2019. I traveled a lot. Mm. Um, my first international competition was the Pan Am Games in Saskatoon in Canada. Um, which I actually ended up winning that one. I took gold in that one, which was kind of cool for my first event. Um, kind of put me on the map, I guess. And then, I uh, fenced, man, I fenced in Italy. I fenced in, I fenced in Dubai, which was actually Sharjah, so the United Arab Emirates. I fenced in Japan. I fenced in Korea. I fenced in, uh, where else was I? Poland. I fenced in Brazil. Um, I fenced all over the US, of course. I fenced in Hungary. So, I mean, there have been a bunch of different countries. I'm sure I'm probably forgetting maybe one or two of them, but it's just a lot of different places.
0: And, um, you know, obviously, we're in a COVID situation with, uh, with the pandemic and, and what, what were you kind of looking forward to this year? Hadn't been, if it hadn't been the pandemic.
1: Oh, I was really hoping I would have qualified for the Paralympic Games, So I could have gone to, to Tokyo and competed in that because that would have been a, a really nice close to my fencing career in its entirety. I actually plan on retiring from, from this. Cause I mean, I'm, <clears throat> I'm a little older. I'm 36 now. And by the next, by the time the next one would have rolled around, I'd been 40. So I, uh, I was like, you know what? I've been doing this pretty much since 2000. I thought I was going to take a break from it, maybe still coach, but competing is, it's hard to do when you have a full-time job and you're raising children at the same time, because if you, if you really want to try and compete at that, that Olympic world-class level, it's something you got to do. As much as you would work a full-time job, maybe even more. You know, when I was training to get my A when I was an able body fencer, I was fencing, like I said, 25 hours a week. And I did that for probably two to three years. Just really putting a lot of time into into training. And I can't I can't really put that much time into it if I want to have any type of family life. <laughs>
0: True. Uh, I mean, uh, every elite athlete I know, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it is a full-time job and so you're managing two and a family and
1: everything else right now. <laughs> yeah. So that, I mean, if I was a little younger, I mean, if this opportunity had arisen and I was like in my twenties and I didn't have kids, but I was like, I got married too. Like if we were still dating, I think it'd be a little more feasible for me to do because it was never a financial issue. I had all that stuff taken care of. It's just, um, it's really just time. You don't get a lot of that time back. You know what I mean? And that that's what I find really most unfortunate because in the event I would have qualified for the Paralympics. Okay. I, I did it in a year and a half. Great. Um, but I spent a lot of time away from my family. You know what I mean? And you don't get that time back. Yeah. So
0: I guess retirement's delayed one year.
1: Uh, well, we'll see what ends up happening with the, uh, the Olympics, you know, next year, if they end up, if they end up happening or not. Now I know I, I talked to Mickey about it and he said, he's like, I, I know you're thinking about retiring or whatever. He's like, why don't you just take a, a break for two years and then come back in 20, 23 and 24, you know, and fence one more time. And I mean, that's something I, I, I possibly considered because I ha- I was so far behind the curve when it came to learn how to do this wheelchair style fencing um, that, I mean, I, the time that I have in the chair, when when I won the Pan Am games, right, I'd only been in a chair, I think, three times. Mm. So I think with a little more experience, a little more practice, I could be a little higher up in the playing field. I, I think in the world right now, I think I'm ranked number 20. Um, I was, I think I was like 17 at the highest that I've ranked so far. And I think with a little more time under my belt, I definitely could get up in the top 10 for sure.
0: And um, so what do you do from a training perspective?
1: Like how do I train? Yeah. Um, I mean, it really depends. I was supposed to – so I was supposed to go to OSU, Ohio State University, and train with their fencers up there. Um, I had to jump through a couple hoops, but they got it set up to where I could go up there and, and um, fence with them because in the state of Ohio, the, I'm the only foilist. And in the country, I think there's only like 12 of us maybe. Um, but the ones that compete at the international level, I'm the only one. So I needed to find – I needed to find basically other people that I could fence with that are used to fencing at a really high level that would be close. So I went to – I tried to go to OSU, but <laughs> COVID shut everything down, so there there aren't any places to train really. If I want to do anything, I can just do it from the comfort of my house and my garage. I got a tire up on the wall. I can pra- do like – you know, um, I can practice on that, but – that's about it for now until things open back up. I was at the uh, Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs. I would train out there, which is always a good time. But again, all, everything's shut down for right now. So I'm kind of in limbo. Yeah, indeed.
0: And, and um, you mentioned you have a full time job. And can you talk a little yeah. bit about that? Sure. What do you want to know? Um, is it the same? Are, you've been on, how long have you been on the force? Uh, four
1: and, uh, four and a half, years, oh, just under four and a half years. I think it was four years in April. So before my top past that, so almost four and a half years, but yeah, I'm still full time, still, still work the streets, still arrest people, still do all that stuff.
0: <laughs> and, uh, is it a local or state or.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's local. Yeah. I, I don't live in the same city that I work in. Um, I, I work in a different city, but, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's an enjoyable job. Um, just got another department citation for some work I did on some call. I think uh, some girl was going to commit suicide off a bridge, and I talked her off the bridge. Yes. Wow. What, what What got you involved in, in, in uh, police work? Honestly, it's, it's, it's not even a good answer. <laughs> My, um, I, I, was, I had just gotten out of grad school. The Let's see, when I graduated from college, it was 08, right? The economy had just completely mm-hmm. fell off because of the housing market bubble. So I was like, okay, I'll go to grad school because there's no jobs. Uh, uh, finished with grad school in 2011, and I was like, okay, I need a job, but there really weren't any jobs. So I got into uh, the lighting industry, and I was traveling the U.S. doing that kind of work. And then my dad said one day, he's like, "You ever thought about being a cop?" I said, "No, not particularly." And he said, "I think you should do it. I think you'd have a lot of fun." So I said, "Okay," and I applied, and then now I'm a cop. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was just going to ask if you plan on just kind of staying with the force and you know, you know, making that your your career and retiring and
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 the plan for right now. A lot of people have been trying to get me to um, move into like detective positions and stuff like that, but I, I like working on the street. I want to spend some more time on the street before I end up doing doing some other stuff. Um, so I'll retire from this, and then I'll probably I'll probably try and go into politics afterwards. That's what I went to school for anyway. And the, the cool thing is, is I can be really old and do politics. <laughs> I, don't, I don't need to be young to do that. I I can go into that at like you know fifty five or sixty, and nobody will bat an eye about it. And as a,
0: as an amputee, how many, uh, you know, what kind of reactions do you get? You know, as a police officer,
1: um, nobody, nobody knows. Really? Yeah. I, I can, I can walk well enough on the street that nobody thinks anything of it. And if I get in fights with people and stuff like that, they don't ever realize it till after the fact. Now sometimes when I'm talking to like young children or stuff like that, and I'm like, Hey guys, or somebody will say something in passing. they are like, Hey, you know, that officer's a robot. And i be like, no, I'm like, Oh yeah, check this out. And I'll show my leg. And they'll be like, Oh my God. And you know, they'll, They'll think it's pretty cool Um, for the now for like people I arrest and stuff. And they're like, man, you only caught me because I didn't take off. I was like, oh, I would have caught you because I'm super fast. And they're like, no, you wouldn't have like, yeah, you're probably right. And I'll show my leg. I'm like, no way you're missing your leg. And I'll tell them about what happened or whatever. And they're like, that's crazy. So, but yeah, you can't, you can't tell just by looking at me that, uh, that I'm missing like, you know, my right leg. There was a cop in Cleveland actually. Who was also um, an amputee, but he he just retired, so now I'm the only one in the state.
0: I know that fencing is like a an individual sport. How do you interact with you know fellow members of like Team USA, for example, or or, or other or other fencers in general?
1: If we're having training, we're usually at the um we're usually at the Olympic Center in Colorado together. Um, is is when we meet up. But the uh, fencing, in and of itself, is such a small, tight knit sport. Para fencing is like the microscopic version of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. We're we're even further spread apart, so it's not like we have the opportunity to really run into each other that much. There's one other pair of fencer that lives here in Ohio, but I think his house is two and a half hours away from mine. Um, there is a girl who goes to um, she goes to OSU and she fences. Um, she actually went to the 2016 Rio Games. Her name's Lauren, um, but we don't ever really get the opportunity to, to run into one another unless we like go out of our way to do it. So we we only see each other really if like we have training set up.
0: I guess the last question I have for you, Byron, is, you, you know, you obviously talked about the mental game. So how do you, you know, you training physically is one thing, but how do you train mentally uh, to participate in the sport?
1: Um, that's a good question. What, what I like to do is I, I like to do a lot of analysis. And I'll watch, uh, I've watched tons and tons and tons of footage of able body. And that's really just a slow down, see, see what people are doing. Um, get used to certain reactions, certain responses, and then uh, I started watching a lot of the para and stuff because it's so much different. And everything's just—it's much faster. There's much less time to think, which really affected me negatively because I'm a—I'm a heavy thinker when it comes to fencing. And you have a lot of time in able body because your first step doesn't have to be forward; it can be back and give yourself a time to think about. Okay, this is what I'm going to do. This is what action I want to use. Whereas in wheelchair, you have to know before you he even says or she says, you know guard, ready, fence, um, because everything is straight off the line. And if you watch bouts, especially with the Chinese, the Chinese are incredibly fast off the line mm-hmm. um, every time and know exactly what they're going to do. And my brain doesn't really work like that. I like to be ready, fence, okay, there's one action, nobody lands, and then, okay, now we can figure each other out. So I enjoy fencing the uh, the Italians or the Hungarians a lot more because they tend to be a little more cognitive when it comes to their tactics. Okay anything
0: else you'd like to share with our with our with our folks
1: um i mean if uh, i i guess all i would really say is if anybody had any other Mm -hmm. questions or anything like that you know they can feel free to reach out to me um you know anybody can email me or anything like that i'm not not particularly difficult to find
0: (laughs) (laughs) well byron thank you so much for being my guest yeah sure not a problem